Sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. It's time to accelerate. Hey, friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 539 of Accelerate, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Now, today we're doing something a little different. Uh, we're digging into our archives to bring you one of our most popular episodes, and that's measured by a number of listeners that uh, downloaded this and listened to it. So my guest on this particular favorite episode is Townsend Wardlaw. Townsend's a sales transformation architect and a very smart man about sales. The title of this episode is What You Should Be Doing But Aren't, Overcoming the Sales Fears That Are Holding You Back. And that's exactly what we talked about, how to break out of your comfort zones to do what you need to do to succeed in sales. Hello, welcome to the show today. My guest, it's Townsend Wardlaw, one of the great names in sales business. Townsend's a <laughs> self-described sales transformation architect. Townsend, how are you doing today? I'm well, Andy. Thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks for joining me. We had, I enjoy talking to you a lot. We had a great time in Denver a couple weeks ago. So um, take a minute, introduce yourself to the, the listeners, tell them who you are and what you do. Yeah, so uh, my full name is, is Townsend Wardlaw, uh, kind of a fancy name, I guess, for, uh, for a sales consultant. I'm, I'm based out of Denver, Colorado, originally from uh, Connecticut. And for, gosh, I don't know, the past 15, 19 years, I have been running uh, both a sales consultancy and then in the last eight years, seven years, just as, as a solo practitioner. So I had a larger sales consultancy and pared it down, and now I lead the glamorous life, life of a uh, solo practitioner helping Typically smaller companies, uh, sub-10 million, who are trying to move from you know, what I think of as entrepreneurial selling to professional selling. And I'm, I'm big on process and infrastructure and technology and creating repeatable systems so that uh, companies can thrive and grow. Love it. So how would you get into sales? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think my, my, my first real sales jobs uh, were, were actually working in bike shops, believe it or not. Um, I like to tell folks I didn't have a, a real a real job, quote unquote, until I was about 27. I graduated school. I was uh, an aspiring uh, bicycle racer, road bicycle racer. Um, until Don't I figured out, I, yeah, until I figured out I really wasn't all that good. I was I was great <laughs> at training and very passionate, but I moved out to California to to try and you know make it big and realize that genetically I was I was not nearly as gifted as I would ever need to be. And I, I still traveled and, and raced bikes and worked in the bike industry a, a number of years and. Uh, moved back to Colorado. Well, not back to. I moved to Colorado, uh, probably around 2003, I think, something like that. I, I get all my. No, sorry, it was it was 1993. I'm a decade off there, and I uh, worked in bike shops for a couple of years. And, and literally at the age of 27, I woke up and realized that I probably was going to 
have a difficult time finding a suitable mate and procreating, making you know somewhere around fourteen thousand dollars a year. And I decided I was going to go and you know actually take advantage of my college education and get a real job. And otherwise, uh, being unqualified for anything else, I, I figured I'd go after a, a career in sales or a job in sales. <laughs> well, it seems uh, to be such a common thread is that you know people say, right? "Gosh, there's nothing else I could do except go into sales." And I, gosh, I hope that changes. As we go forward, that, you know, I know colleges are, you know, we'll, at some point in the future, we'll have guests on the show that are leading some of these new academic departments that are focused on sales, where people are actually choosing to go into sales as opposed to saying, I have nothing yeah. else to do with my life, so I went into sales. Yep, yep. the career of default, right? Right. So, uh, you know, to, uh, to get into sales at the time, and it probably is, 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 is very similar now, um, I took a, a, a crappy sales job, right? I was getting my car, drive an hour and commute, and uh, back in the day, I was, I was hawking uh, long distance for a reseller, right? Back when you actually paid for such things. Mm-hmm. And um, gosh, I think we were—I think we were selling it at I don't know thirty cents a minute or something crazy like that. And uh, uh, you know, I, I, I did very well and, and very quickly moved up the ranks uh, from uh, you know from a little reseller to uh, to AT and T, and then uh, got a job in Denver with uh, with a company called BDM that was actually building CRM applications back in the, the late nineteen nineties. And then uh, actually levered that into a job with uh, with Avaya. So I actually was Lucent and then Avaya. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like to say I, I, I set the land speed record from working in a bike shop and, and rolling burritos, making fifteen grand a year, to uh, a VP of sales for a uh, uh, you know for a Fortune Fortune uh, five hundred company or one hundred company, you know, making quarter million bucks a year. It was about six or seven years, and it was a pretty heady little ride. And then I uh, this was somewhere. So what did what did you know? What did you do differently than everybody else that helped you on that tra- <laughs> on that trajectory? That is a fantastic question. I, the true answer, Andy, is I didn't know what I wasn't supposed to know, or I I knew. Yeah, I did. I didn't know what I wasn't supposed to do. Right. So here I was, you know, never having been in a corporate world, you know, reasonably, you know, intelligent and 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 and, and confident and all those great things, and I was surrounded by folks who seemed to hesitate, seemed to have read some rule book about the things they're supposed to say and not say. And, you know, there's this there's this punk guy here just kind of popping off with what I actually thought was the right thing to do. And at the time, I believe they branded it as uh, as innovative. And I always thought that was sort of humorous, that, that innovation and, and you know, uh, drive was simply, in my mind, common sense. So Well, and you <laughs> I were a certain yeah. fearlessness, it sounds like. I, I, yeah, kind of nothing to lose, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Hadn't built a, a ten-year career, and, and, and to me, it was all sort of just just a fun game. So, well, so um, did it work? Now, have you procreated? Did you find the mate? I mean, the, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I found the mate. I procreated. Uh, the mate and I have parted, um, but I still I, you get to keep the procreations apparently. So I've got <laughs> all I've the got way through two, college. Uh, yeah, well, these days I hear it's even a little past college, yeah. but uh, I got two boys. They're they're they're. Uh, 15 and 17, which is just mind-boggling to me. Yeah. They're, they're both taller than me now, which is also mind-boggling. So let's go back. You talk about this fearlessness that you had that really propelled yeah. you on sort of this, this rapid trajectory. But but now, you know, when you're talking to groups, you know, you're starting to talk about fear. Mm-hmm. So what's what's the connection? You know, where did you suddenly start becoming fearful or, or what, what happened? Uh, yeah, I think life happened. Um, so, quick catch up from in 2002, I left the corporate world, started my own company, ran that for about eight years, got it to a couple million bucks. It was a sales consultancy, and we, we taught people 
how to sell and all sorts of stuff. And then that got shut down through a series of mistakes that I made, you know, misjudgments, uh, you know, my first, my first entrepreneurship run and I, I made all the mistakes. Um, so I folded that down, actually uh, had to go personally bankrupt. I was guaranteed on everything and, you know, took my, my family down, my, my, my marriage fell apart. Uh, my life got very interesting for a little bit and, you know, then built back up my, uh, my consulting about seven, eight years ago. Now, now a little bit of context, right? You know, you talk about fearlessness. I, you know, didn't, didn't, didn't care in the corporate world what people thought. I, I literally left a high paying job to start a company, not having any idea what I was going to do with a family and a mortgage. So that had been a theme about eight years ago. I'm, I'm standing on stage in, in Las Vegas, speaking to a group of people and, I had a panic attack is the only way I can explain it. I literally, you know, my body went numb. I couldn't, I could barely see. I'm in front of a thousand people. I'm, I'm paid to be there. I'm supposed to be giving them wisdom and knowledge. And I, I basically walked slash ran off stage, packed my stuff and, and went home. And I, I know I thought I was having a heart attack. Now, is this like in the middle of the presentation or just right before oh, you started? No, no. In the middle of the presentation in front of a thousand people. It's it like was, mid sentence. Uh, yeah, it was fun. It's a good time. Holy cow. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I had spoken in front of, you know, 10,000 people before, and I never, never had a single, you know, worry, concern, et cetera. I, uh, I had another gig the next month, and uh, I don't know what was worse, the, uh, you know, the, 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 it happening again, basically, which it did, or sort of dreading and worrying that it would. Right. So it happened again, and, you know, it's, I don't know, it's a horrible embarrassing shameful kind of feeling right i mean you're 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 supposed to be this expert you're supposed to be untouchable unrattable and uh you know here you are doing what most people uh are most afraid of which is choking in public right um that was about eight, eight years ago and i i literally stopped speaking in public i stopped talking i, I turned down uh you know uh requests for me to speak i stopped seeking them out you know, I made whatever excuse it was. I actually, I actually, uh, you know, convinced myself that it, it was sort of beneath me, if you can imagine that. And, um, you know, I kind of created this whole story in my head that, oh, you know, public speaking is a bunch of nonsense and it doesn't really help anybody. And, you know, it's simply the sage and the stage. I, I mean, stop doing it. And I loved it prior to that. I mean, I, I honestly loved it. Uh, so that, that was sort of my, I don't know, the... When that happened, that was the beginning of of me. You know, if you want to think about it, living and dealing with 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 this fear, and that fear is sort of an interesting thing. And I, to jump forward a little bit, uh, I, I'm I'm speaking again. I actually spoke, uh, I think, the day before we connected here in Denver, and it was the first time I'd spoken in, in about, like I said, eight years. And I spoke at the AAISP conference, and and the topic was disappearing fear, dealing with fear, right? Because what I finally came to the, the realization was that fear had caused in me not only an inability to do something, you know, that I, that I loved and I felt reached a large group of folks, but it had actually convinced me that it wasn't even worth doing. You know, and that was the really insidious part, right? And I, 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 you know, I've thought about this for years, obviously, right? And every time somebody would ask me, you know, outwardly, I would say, oh, no, I don't do those. And, but inwardly, you know, I sort of had this embarrassment and this you know, this, this guilt that I wasn't out there giving my gift, doing what I love kind of thing. And, you know, I, I thought about that in terms of all the clients that I worked with, right? All the companies, all the salespeople, 
And selling is a really, you know, it's an incredible career, right? It's given me, it's given me wealth, it's given me opportunity, all sorts of things. And, and you know, we were joking earlier that it's the career last resort, but, you know, in a lot of ways, it's one of the few places that, you know, is, is really, I don't know, egalitarian in a lot of ways, right? It's, sure. it's pure meritocracy. You know, yeah, that's a better word, meritocracy, right? And, and you know, somebody with you know, even moderate education or intelligence can make fabulous money. But so many people look at selling as this career that, oh, I, I could never do that, right? It's too scary. And, you know, to, for, to, so for me, the, the two themes sort of blend together. And I've always encouraged people to get into sales and to pursue sales and overcome their fears. And, you know, at the end of the day, I felt like a hypocrite, right? Because here I was hiding this thing. And living with this fear, but but trying to inspire others to be fearless. So that that that's really what got me to get back. You know, number one, up on the stage and talking again, and number two, to share my story and just just let people know that it's okay to be afraid. And so, how do you harness those fears to sell? Right? I mean, because <laughs> yeah. I don't think it ever goes away. I mean, there's people I think that yep. a small fraction of people in sales that will claim. And maybe truthfully so that you know they they are fearless and they'll do yeah. anything. But yeah. overwhelming majority of people, every time you got to pick up a phone and make a call, there's this thought that runs through your mind. It's like, <laughs> am I intruding? You know, blah, you know, all the all the common things that sort of bleed through. Yeah. How do you deal with that? How do you how did you help people? Well, I'll, I'll I'll answer that in just a second. What what I want to say first is the easiest thing to associate you know, fearfulness with is, you know, kind of prospecting or cold calling, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's calling a stranger. But realistically, fear shows up all throughout the sales process, right? It shows up in discovery when I'm trying to get good information and probe for need, right? Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to look, I don't look stupid. I don't want to ask the, a dumb question. Um, you know, it, it, it takes place later in the sales process when you're trying to, you know, position or determine if there's competitors, right? Oh, we can't ask that or we'll offend somebody or, you know, even when we're when we think about closing, right? I, a lot of salespeople are, are afraid of asking for the business, afraid of saying, "Listen, I, I think I understand your problem. I I can help you. Will you give me some money?" And so it shows up all throughout, you know, the selling process. This concept of fear. But when you take a step back and say, "Okay, well, well what is fear?" You know, fear is this is this force, and and ultimately, it's completely irrational, right? I mean, why why would anybody? Be afraid of picking up the phone, other than we've told ourselves that. Um, if you, if well, I guess what I'm trying to answer is, how do I share with folks at least my process of uh, dealing with it, right? And the and the topic of, of the talk I usually give is called disappearing fear, and it's intentionally not called eliminating fear because fear is actually kind of important in our lives, right? Fear is uh, sure, a it's a natural natural instinct, yeah, right? Yeah, like you know, if I if I walk out survival. And, yeah, if I walk out into the uh, you know LA traffic or New York traffic, I, I'm fearless. That's not a good you know longevity scheme. But to me, first of all, fear is 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 uh, is akin to joy, happiness, love, sorrow. Right? It's just another sensation, emotion, or whatever category you want to put in. The key is: are we calibrated properly? Right? You know, I see a spider and I and I and I, and I pass out. Well, that's not a good calibration of fear. Right? That that that's a severe overreaction. Um, standing up on stage and, and, and being nervous in front of an audience is actually, you know, probably appropriate, right? You want to do well. You want to, you know, you want to serve them. You want to, you want to give them, you know, some wisdom, some knowledge for their money. But being paralyzed and unable to speak, that's an overreaction. So, 
fear can have this, you know, completely disproportionate power over us. And, and if you really think about why it is, my belief goes back to the fact that fear has power when it is hidden, right? When you're in an environment that fear is repressed, right? You're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be fearless. You're not supposed to be nervous. Uh, fear can have tremendous power of you, right? When you're calling a CFO uh, of a major corporation and you've got seven minutes to, to state your case, if you're not quaking in your boots a little bit, something's wrong with you, right? That's, that's normal. So the question is, how do you deal with it and how do you make it, how do you normalize fear, you know, amongst all the other things? And, you know, the simple, the simple trick, if you will, that I try to convey to folks is uh, fear doesn't live in the light. It only lives in the dark, right? Fear can only have power when it's hidden. So by way of example, um, I get very nervous when I get in front of folks, right? That, that, that has not gone away. It's not like I get up there now and I'm, I'm cured. But I stand up in, folk, in front of folks and, and the first thing I say is, I want to tell you, I am absolutely terrified to be up here in front of you. And it's the, it's the God's honest truth, I am, right? And oftentimes, you know, my voice can even be shaken. I'm like, listen, hear my voice shake. And rather than trying to hide it or conceal it, I just I put it right out there and it completely dissipates. It goes away. Think about this on a, on a, on a cold call or think about this on a, you know, on a sales call, right? I'll, I'll coach people who are starting in sales. It's okay to say to somebody, listen, you know, thanks for taking a minute to take my call. Um, I got to tell you, I'm new and I'm a little nervous. So, you know, <laughs> be patient with me, right? You can actually talk to prospects like they're real human beings. Right. And enlist, enlist them in the process, right? Yeah. Enlist and roll them in it. Right. right. And you know, it, it, it's actually a really simple trick, but it's also very powerful that if you can declare your fear, it loses all power, power over you. And that, that's frankly in every aspect of your life. Um, you know, whether it's in professional speaking or selling or relationships or what have you, but you know, sadly as a society, as a culture, we're, 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 we're told, don't be afraid, don't show fear. And, and, and you're told it's weakness and it's, it's just nonsense. Okay. Nonsense. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, good. Well, we'll be right back after the break. Stay with us as we talk more with Townsend Wardlaw about fear, how to overcome your fears, how to harness them, and how they might be holding you back in sales and in life. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a thousand companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. Hi, this is Andy. I have a special offer for loyal listeners of Accelerate. It's a no-obligation, free trial of my zero-time selling, interactive online training. Now, I've worked with thousands of sales reps to teach them how to use my zero-time selling to boost their productivity and transform the results. And so if you want to learn the same proven strategies to help you open more doors, have more effective sales conversations with prospects, and close more orders, then my zero-time selling interactive training system is a fit for you. It's incredibly simple to start. Just take out your smartphone and text the word TRUST, that's T-R-U-S-T, to 96000. Now, do you have your phone ready? You're going to text us, send a text to 96000. That's a nine and a six followed by three zeros. Now, enter the single word message 
trust and hit send and you hear right back from me with instructions on how to sign up for your free trial on my zero time selling interactive training i look forward to seeing you there welcome back my guest today is townsend wardlaw check him out at townsendwardlaw.com so we were talking before the break we were talking about how fear can hold you back in life and sales you gave some good techniques for uh addressing your fears acknowledging your fears openly uh, even with your prospects, if you're a seller, to sort of, enroll, as you said, enroll them in the process uh, so they, yeah. they understand where you're coming from. But I think ultimately, you know, fear or at least some, some level of, of nervousness, if you will, um, represents humility in the process, right? I, I view that selling is a profession of service, right? We're not here to do something to our clients, get them to do something. We're here to help them achieve something that they want, right? And in the process, make some money off it, and that's, and that's fine. Uh, and I think going, you know, going to your clients, showing up for your prospects with a certain level of humility and respect that you know, ultimately, if, if they're going to give you their money and their time, you know, that's going to require a lot of, a lot of trust. And, and to, to take that very seriously, I think, matters. I'll, I'll tell you one of, the, one of the scariest moments for me, and scary is a relative word, but you know, the moment of, of most seriousness is when I know that a client has agreed to let me solve the problem, to work with them, right? Um, there's always this moment of, oh, oh, oh crap, right? right. Now, now i got to get done, and, and if I don't, you know, I'm failing them, right? This is their money. This is their business. This is their life. And, you know, if you don't, if you don't have some humility and some, some nervousness around that, I think either you, you don't care or you're not human. Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I, th- I agree with you. I think that at least for me, I mean, it's always one of the big points of nervousness is when you actually win the deal, right? Because then you have to, it's easy enough to say what you're going to do. Yeah. But it's always, sort of, it's always, you know, that moment of, of, and it could be temporary, but it's just like, you know, yeah. we promised we can do this now. Oh gosh, can we really do it? And of course you uh, can, but I mean, it's, yeah. it's, yeah. I'll mention something interesting. It's, it, it's funny. I, you know, I have a, I have a ton of videos up on YouTube and they're all techniques and they're all, you know, I'm, I'm trying to just share with people how I do things. Right. And, I get all sorts of comments, you know, some uh, ranging from, you know, hey, this is great, thanks so much. But there's a whole sort of segment of the of the you know sales consulting population and, and ultimately the selling population who uh, leave essentially disparaging comments because they come from this world of sales has to be done from power, from strength, from superiority, from control, from control. Yeah, it just it it baffles me, Andy, because it just I I, I don't think like that. I don't believe that's you know necessary and you know, they're basically criticizing the approach, saying, "Oh, this is weak," and you know, you're you're giving the prospect the power, and I'm just like, it doesn't make a lot. Well, of Well, the prospect has the power anyway, right? So anybody that <laughs> anybody that that thinks for a second that sales is in control is you know leading a life of of delusion, right? Yeah, that's just yeah. not the way it is. Is yeah. prospects have they always have had the power because they've got the money? And that's been my philosophy, it's become even more pronounced now that you know we've sort of equalized the what i call the information imbalance that existed right. i mean sure when when you got started selling you know pretty much when if the customer wanted some information about your product or service <laughs> you yeah. were you were the sole source of yeah. that information so in one sense the customer could only buy as fast as you were willing to sell to them uh, then yeah then, then but that's not the yeah. case now no. i mean now the the customer you know any information that they get from you is going to be supplemented by what they find themselves online yeah yep. and so you're not in charge of but it, it is interesting because i googled 
Googled uh, controlling the sales process. Uh-huh. And you get about 40 million oh, search yeah, returns. And so it's still this, and I, I agree with you. I mean, I, there's people whose whole business is all about, you know, teaching these control techniques. And I just... Well, it, it, it's sort of a... a, a, a I hate to use the word, but it's a little bit Neanderthal, right? Because it's a sense that yeah, that yeah. and that there's this machismo involved. That it's, somehow, it's, an, it's an ego play, right? Yeah, I mean, well, I have to be in control, and and yeah, yeah. purely the sales guys in control, and we're the dominant force, and yeah, just not true. I uh, I often have clients say things like, "Well, how do we speed up the sales process?" I said, "Well, you you don't. <laughs> the reality is, it's a buying process, and you have to understand it." Right, and and sometimes you can influence it if it's in your prospect's best interest, but this idea of creating urgency, you know, uh, well, the urgency lives in their world, right? And to the degree to which you can uncover urgency or things in the prospect's life that matter, and then and then position that as a way you can serve them, sure, you can you can change the pace of it, but otherwise, there's no techniques you're going to use to get people to spend their money faster. Not not in not in this day and age. No, no, and. Yeah, I love the distinction you draw, as I do, between the buying process, selling process. I mean, you can, on one degree. I mean, you're in charge of your sales process. You can accelerate that. But only, yeah. what impact does it have on the prospect's buying process? <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes it's aligned, sometimes it's not. Yeah. I mean, I think in aggregate, if you focus on, geez, how do I manage to, how do I work to make every touch I have with the prospect more valuable to them, Right give more information, answer their questions, have more, I said, more value to them in terms of making their decision. Yeah. Yeah, then you might be able to compress their buying process. But, yeah, you have to really focus on the thing that you can control, which is the activities that you do. Yep, agreed. Agreed. So, in your business, you know, just, I'm actually going to propose a sort of a hypothetical scenario to you. Okay. And think about it from the context of you as your sales transformation architect. But mm-hmm. assume for a second that you were, in this hypothetical scenario, you were hired as a new sales leader by a company whose sales have stalled. And right. you know, they're looking to get things revved up and going. And they really have a sense of urgency to get this accomplished. So what are the two things you would do the first week on the job that could have the biggest impact? Yeah. Um, you know, I, have been doing this a long time and, and I've, I've, it's, it's pretty simple. I think, I think you're probably along the same boat. You know, when I walk into an organization, I'll, I'll tell you there, there's, first of all, my philosophy is always, how do we identify and address, you know, the simplest problems that have the biggest impact, right? We're not trying to get fancy and use some new, you know, complex closing techniques. You know, what's, what's quick and dirty to get this done? And I'll tell you, uh, I have yet to walk into an organization with that challenge, right? Not enough sales, and find that they're doing enough activity, right? Basic activity, right? Not that activity is the, you know, solves all, all, all evils, but when you walk in, they say there's not enough sales, and you say, okay, great, let me go talk to the sales guys and gals, I guess. I'm sorry, I, I got to remember that these days. But, you know, you, you, you go and talk to them, and you say, okay, what did you do today? And they say, well, you know, I made like, you know, 10 phone calls. Great, let's double that. Right, something simple, right? So, number one is always um, how do we just generate more activity because that gets us in front of more prospects. That gives us the chance of having somebody who you know needs us now or later. So, uh, what you're finding is they're just not making enough calls. 
calls, emails, whatever, you know, social selling, I don't get fixated on outbound, but they're not doing enough stuff, right? Plain and simple, you know, you, you, you can't squeeze more out of, a, out, of, out of a rock or a turnip or, or what have you. So simply increasing the, the amount of activity to a level that's going to generate more, you know, and, and, and what that does is that, that you know, that, that, that honestly just makes people feel more productive in a lot of ways. So this, it has a psychological effect and, a, and, a, and an actual effect. The second thing, Andy, is actually a little bit counterintuitive. And in almost all situations, what I find is because they have, well, possibly because they're not doing, not doing enough basic activity, what they have started to do in the selling process is what I call selling too soon, right? So the calls they are making are typically designed to lead to like a demo, Right? So I walk into mm-hmm. sales there almost every time I see not enough activity, they say, great, well, okay, the calls you are making, what are you trying to accomplish? Well, we're trying to get them to do a demo. Right? So my second fix, if you will, is we're going to need to slow down to speed up because in your, in your desire to move the thing faster by, you know, let's get them to the product, you're doing more proposals to people who actually aren't even qualified. They've just agreed to take a proposal. And then you're spending all this time on the back end chasing them and following up. So usually the second, you know, intervention, if you will, is let's stop driving for a demo or even a presentation and let's shift to discovery, right? So let's make more calls. But now the purpose of those calls, rather than being get a demo or do a presentation, have a conversation, right? Just get to know them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and usually that causes a lot of consternation because oh, I thought we brought you in here to, to get things going faster. It's like, yeah, but it's going to go faster if we slow down and actually talk to them like they're real people get to understand their problems and find pain because, you know, A, we'll build credibility and trust and, and we'll actually find the real deals. B, we'll stop wasting all this time on these things that aren't real deals, but we're just pretending that they are. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you don't want to skip a step, right? I mean, no, the, thing but is, I, the thing is, the thing yeah. is that is, I think that a lot of sellers don't understand is that the way people make decisions is, and scientists have just researched this, it's, it's a very linear process. And, you know, people in their minds, and we do this when we make decisions about what we're going to buy ourselves, is we sort of go yep. step one, step two, step three, yeah. and so on. And there's a, there's a process. And one of those steps is an interest-building step, and that really comes from that discovery phase. Yep. Right? Yeah. That's how the customer really begins to develop a firmer interest in what you're selling is through the yeah. questions you ask as part of your discovery. Well, I, I always found it fascinating, right, that, and there's a lot of companies that think this way still, that th- th- their, their underlying belief is that if they show you their product or their service, how it works, what it does, then that will make you want it or need it. And, and I just kind of have to scratch my head and say that that's not how life works, right? We don't, we don't you know, maybe for, for, for consumables like gum or, you know, hot dog on a stick or whatever, but... In business, businesses don't say, well, let's see what's out there and see what we want. They, they're trying to run a business. They have their own goals, their drivers, their objectives. And everything they do has to be aligned to that. Certainly, they'll sit down and see a demo and they'll nod their head and they'll show interest. That's completely distinct from need, right? And people, I always like to say, it's actually not even buying, right? Nobody buys anything in business. You buy gum, you buy toilet paper, you invest in software, you invest in services. And investment has the connotation of a return. Therefore, it has to be anchored, tied to a, you know, business value, you know, something the company wants. A business objective. Yeah. I, and, you know, I, I, I always sort of chuckle because I'll, I'll sit down with a, a, a salesperson and say, okay, 
how much your solution costs? They say, oh, it's $10,000. Okay, this deal right here, how much revenue, profit, you know, margin, whatever, will your customer derive from that if they give you that 10 grand? And they say, well, I don't know. I say, okay, well, then what makes you think they're going to buy it? Right? ROI is not a concept. It's actually a formula. And if you have a null value in the R, return, and a tangible value in the I, you know, the investment, you have a, you know, you have a formula that doesn't work. And that's why deals, I will tell you, almost 100% of, you know, when I go in and do some due diligence on why aren't things closing, it's one answer, Andy. It's, there's no return on the investment. The, you know, the, inve- the investment is easy. You look at the bottom of the proposal, the back page where everybody flips to, and there's a price right there. There's no R. Right. And I'll, let me give you my perspective of why, because I think it's a great point. Why I think that happens is I think that personally, part of the problem is that as salespeople and sales leaders, you know, there's sort of this conventional view of sales, which is what you're trying to do is solve a pain point. See, yeah. I don't think it's about pain. I think it's the point you made. It's about companies have business objectives. Yeah. Right? If you're carrying a pain is like a passive approach, right? Mm-hmm. I, I have, I'm yep. sick. I go to the doctor. They give me some medicine. I take it. Yeah, you know, it solves the problem. But that's just, that's really passive. Yep. But companies have objectives they're trying to reach. Your buyers have objectives they're trying to reach. So thus, if you think about it in terms of an objective, and I'm trying to meet their, help them meet their objectives, yep. then that whole investment and the return on that investment become front and center, should become front and center in the seller's right. mind. So yep. focus less on how I'm solving a pain point and saying, yep. look, what is, ask the customer, what are their objectives? Where do you want to be yeah. in 12 months? Where do you want to be in 18 months? Jeez, how do we get you from here to there? Well, and, and what happens if you don't, right? And what happens if you don't? Absolutely. Yeah. I, you know, we forget people, you know, companies are just made up of people, right? They're not this magical entity. And, and individuals, you and I, we have an incredible tolerance for pain, right? I, uh, I've had back pain for two years, two and a half years. And you know what? I did nothing about it. Nothing. I suffered. I took some Advil. I dealt with it. Um, when I could no longer exercise, right, I had to stop exercising because the pain was too great. Guess what I did? I did something about it. That's called an impact, right? So pain without impact, you know, means nothing. Pain with impact is what people act. So my, my coaching to sales folks is when somebody says, oh, this is our problem. It's mission critical. We have to blah, blah, blah. What if you don't? What if you do, right? And if, and if the prospect can't attach some real meaningful, tangible, right, numerical. Quantifiable. Yeah. Then it's just yap, yap. It's talk. Yep. Right? And you can't let the prospect, you know, convince you or you, you convince yourself that, you know, simply, oh, we could do better or things aren't as good as they could be or we're, we're, we're concerned about the future. That's, 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 that's talk. People don't act on that. They invest based on, you know, something that will cause them death or dismemberment. Right. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent point. So let's move on to the last part of the show. My favorite part is got some what I call the sales corner. I've got some rapid fire questions for you. you can oh, give boy. One word answers. <laughs> if that's possible. Or, uh, yeah. or you can elaborate a little bit, but let's see what we can do. All right. Ready? I'm ready. Okay. What's the most powerful sales tool in your arsenal? The telephone. Name one application tool you use today for sales or sales management that you can't live without. Salesforce. Who's your sales role model? Gosh, other than you, huh? Hmm. Other than me. <laughs> uh, Mahan Khalsa has always been a, uh, a personal favorite of mine. I don't know if people have even heard of him, but uh, he's a great guy to check out. 
does he have a book people should read? Yeah, it's called Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play, uh, K-H-A-L-S-A. To me, the seminal work on, on solution selling, other than Michael Bosworth. But uh, yeah, Mahan Khalsa had his own firm. He was actually he was purchased by Franklin Covey, and he's, he's long since retired. But go find a copy of Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play. It's an amazing book. Great recommendation. So that sort of preempts my next question. What's the one book every salesperson should read? Yep, that's the one. All right. So what's your favorite music to listen to to psych yourself up for a sales call? <laughs> I, uh, I listen to uh, electronic music, electronic dance music, house, techno, tech house, really? deep house. Yep. I'm actually a, a DJ on the side as well. I've been, I've been DJing that kind of music for, man, like 30 years or something crazy like that. So well, Maybe you're in the wrong line of business. <laughs> well, I, not easy to make money over there. I can, I can actually make money doing what I'm doing. Well, you read about those DJs making Vegas. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's not going to be me. But okay, okay. <laughs> all right. What fifty-year-old guy can't be a DJ? <laughs> so, what's the first sales activity that you do every day? <clears throat> first, gosh, first selling activity. You know, in 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 a practical aspect, it's you know send out cold emails and make make some calls. Right, if if I'm up at uh, six in the morning, you know, which I am a lot, and I'm and I'm prospecting in a prospecting mode, right, if I'm not doing a lot of inbound, then it's, you know, I'm going to bang out 10 calls and send 10 emails or, or go on LinkedIn and get that get that out of the way. I believe it's absolutely critical. And, you know, it, it, it's the one force, you know, the lever in anybody's business or practice or individual salesperson, you know, wake up every day, make 10, 20 outbound reaches, and you will never starve. 10 by 10. Yeah, exactly, right? That's right. Get 10 in yep. by 10 o'clock or 9 by yeah. 9. So, ten, 10 by 7, man. Come on. You want to yeah. see you guys? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do to keep fit and healthy? I try not to drink too much. Uh, <laughs> it's not really a proactive activity. I've been a little constrained uh, with the back thing, but I got to tell you, I've been, I've been doing the, uh, that T25 thing, which is like the little stepchild of the, of the insanity workout. Mm-hmm. 25 minutes, I can bang it out in the morning, and honestly, it's, it's, it's a game changer for me. And then I, I also do a lot of juice. I actually found a place. I bought a juicer, but I found a place here that delivers locally because I'm just lazy about <laughs> shopping and stuff. But yeah, fresh juice, non-high-pressure pasteurized, like right. for a day. Are you? Jeez, are you yeah. uh, still riding your bike? Yeah, no, I, I've got a bicycle, a garage full of bicycles, uh, and I get on my cruiser to go to the bar once in a while. But I've been a, I've been a slacker on my bike. That's one of my goals this fall is to get back on the, uh, on at least my mountain bike. My, uh, my back stuff uh, notwithstanding. All right. So last question. What's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Wow. Um, are you insane? <laughs> Gosh. Uh, that I get asked by salespeople. Um, you know, people always ask me how I get started, you know, and I kind of told that story in the beginning. But, right. um, you know, I, I get a lot of I, – I try to make myself very available to my audience, to people, you know, read my blog or watch my videos. And, you know, what, they, what I think they really ask me is not so much how do I get started, but how do they get started, right? Or how do they get in or what can they do to, you know, to, to break into sales, if you will. Okay. How do they overcome their fear? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Good. Well, Townsend, thank you very much. I want to thank our guest – Townsend Wardlaw for joining us today. It's been a great conversation about fear, right? I mean, how do you overcome fear? Fear is such a central part of, of selling. How do you and overcome life. that? And life, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So thank you again for joining us. And remember, people, make it a part of your day every day. 
to deliberately learn something new, something to help you amp up your business, something to make you better in life. And I think we might have helped you with that today. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guest, visit my website at andypaul.com. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.